This is our final week in the One Another series that we have been doing that we started several weeks back. That we are members of one another because we are members of Jesus as his bride and his body, as his army, as his family. And what that means, though, is that if we are members of Jesus, and you're a mem- if I'm a member of Jesus, you're a member of Jesus, that person's a member of Jesus, that how we do life together ought to work. That's crazy, I know. As Christians, we ought to be able to work together to be able to picture Jesus to each other, to ourselves, and to those around us. And fortunately for us, you know, uh, I know my my Bible's super print, so it's bigger than most of yours probably, but he's given us plenty of instructions on how that's supposed to work, on how we are to live with one another, how we are to love one another, how we are to honor one another, so that the world can still see Jesus, even though Jesus is no longer physically in the world. When we think about that that is the task of the Christian church for the last 2,000 years is to be a picture of Jesus in this broken world to people who do not know him, who have never met him, and maybe have never even heard his name before, it puts a heavy weight of responsibility for us to actually listen to what God and Jesus are telling us we ought to do with and for one another, and to actually then do it. And that all is to say that we know that we are not perfect people, that we will not fulfill every one of these one another commands every week, every month. We get it. Because we ought to be able to humbly admit that we are sinners who needed a Savior, who still need a Savior. So we're going to mess up, right? I don't want us to walk away from this series being like, well, I'm just going to buckle down, I'm going to get all these things right, and then everything's going to be perfect, because it's not going to be. But that doesn't relieve the responsibility we have to follow these one another commands that are clearly given to us in Scripture so that we know how to act towards one another. Now this week, I decided uh, that we are just going to end on a big downer note. I know, most of you really don't like that, and that's fine. Uh, We are going to do an entire week on what not to do towards one another. Most of our commands so far have been pretty simple. Love one another, honor one another, forgive one another, instruct and submit to one another. These things, you know, you see in Scripture, so it's like, it's second nature. But if your heart is as rebellious as mine, when you hear these ones, you're like, but what about this? There are just as many instances where we are told what not to do to one another as believers, not just the Ten Commandments of, like, don't kill each other. Like, we're talking, like, church-type things to not do. There's all sorts of commands in the Bible of what we are to morally stop and refrain from doing. I'm not going to cover all of those. There's a, there's a ton of them, right? But what we are going to do is look at the several passages where we are told, here's something that believers ought not to do to and for and with each other. 
to which we're all like, oh boy, this ought to be a real downer. I don't want it to be a downer. I hope that most of these will come as no big surprise. Because these are the things we tell children. You shouldn't do that. We know instinctively we shouldn't do that. We know relationally these things don't help. They hurt. We know when people do it to us, it hurts us. And we know that when we're really mad at someone, we end up doing these things that it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't make you feel better. It doesn't help to correct the situation at all. So let us try to listen to God when he's telling us, here's the things I want you to not do. Thankfully, a lot of these are put in context with something else that they actually want you to do. (laughs) So it's not all a major downer. So we're just going to start near the top, and we'll be able to see why these are commands to not do these things is because they already break one of the other one another commands. I don't think it's going to take too much brain power for us to see, like, oh, if I do this, I'm not showing honor to someone. I'm not forgiving someone. I'm not willing to submit to someone. I think we can comprehend that. So first off, First Peter chapter 4, verse 9, it says to be hospitable to one another, to which I have not put that in the other categories of anything, but what does that sound like? Sounds like honoring, accepting, serving, be hospitable, greet one another, treat one another with respect, right? Without complaint. And then we're all like, but Caleb, you preached that like several weeks ago. I thought I had it all down. And I'm like, fine, I'll, I will accept people, but I'm going to do it with, with a grouchy expression on my face or in my heart. We are to be hospitable and kind to each other without a complaint. You like being treated nice by someone who's ready to complain about you the next second? Or upset about the fact that they have to be nice to somebody? Look, I get it. Because sometimes there are people, and there are days, and there are moments where you haven't slept enough that you're like, Okay, I know the correct thing is to be nice to this person, but I really don't want to. But what we are looking for in the fulfillment of loving one another, accepting one another, honoring one another, is that we do that without complaining. Okay? Complaining demonstrates that you are doing it, but not doing it out of the same heart motivation that God wants you to have. That being said... There's an argument to be made that being nice to someone, even though in your heart you don't want to, is still the right thing to do. Just because you don't feel like it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I don't feel like being nice to you today, so I'm just going to be grouchy at you. That doesn't work either. But that is not the completion, that is not the fulfillment of the expectation of the commands that are given in Scripture. You should be able to do it without complaint. You know it's right, you know that it honors God, you know that it honors the other person, and that you should be able to do that because it is the right thing to do without complaint, okay? Similarly, in this same vein of thought of just being willing to be with each other, I didn't write down the passage, but I'm pretty sure it's Hebrews chapter 10. Don't stone me if I got that wrong. 
the end of a verse that we have already uh, covered in a previous week, it says to not neglect to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. So it's easy, right, to say, like, you know, I don't like this person. I don't like this situation. I don't want to be with people today because I just, I have a, I'm having a bad day. And so you just don't go. This is also something that we're not to do. To just neglect going and being with each other. For whatever reason, maybe it's easier, maybe it's simpler, maybe you're having a bad day and a hard time of it. This, however, I don't want you to hear me say, because growing up I've heard plenty of people say it, doesn't mean that you shouldn't come, that you should stay home if you're sick. You should, okay? If you're sick, please stay home. I will Google meet you in, okay? This doesn't mean that if you're traveling and you didn't make it to church, that you're somehow a terrible pagan sinner who no longer loves Jesus. Notice it says, it's the habit of some. Now here's the question that only you as a person can answer. Do I, out of habit, stop going to church or stop hanging out with Christians when, and you fill in the blank, If I'm struggling with my faith, do I stop going to church? Do I stop talking to believers? If I have a personal conflict with my spouse, do we stop going to church? If I am struggling financially, do I stop talking to other believers? If that is a habit, if that is a rhythm of your life, that is a problem. And one of the main reasons that it's a problem is because... The body of Jesus is given to us as one of his means of grace. Now, if we all do the one another's correctly, all the things that said, like, you should do this for each other, in those moments when you really don't want to go to church, when you don't want to be with other believers, that body that is doing the one another things correctly is the exact place you need to be. When you're at each other's throats and you can't even get in the car to get to church on time or even with a half smile on your face. A church body that understands what it means to be a member of each other as they are members of Jesus is the place where you can find help. Maybe not solve your marriage problems because there might be too much for us to handle in a 15-minute window. However... It is the place you need to be. Because the place you need to be is with Jesus. And we are his body here on earth. We're not perfect. Most of us have probably had some sort of issue that you're having. That doesn't mean we're going to have the right answer. But what we can do is say, it's okay. We still love you. We are committed to helping you. And look, God's given us his word to help us sort out our lives. And let's do it together. When you struggle, when you're like, I don't know if I believe that God is as good as this Bible says he is, do you run away from anyone who thinks that God is good? You see, you're not helping yourself or anyone else in a situation 
I get it. I understand it's hard. I've had many a hard Sunday as well of wanting to go to church and wanting to be with people because of struggles that I'm having. I understand. None of this is to make it sound like this is just easy. Like, get your act together. I've been doing it right for forever. It's not easy. But this is why we need to commit to one another to be members of one another so that when one of us needs help, help is here to be found. So we need to be hospitable without complaint. We need to be able to continue to make the habit be, I will go to the place where I can find help, forgiveness, and mercy and grace to the body of Jesus. And we all need to be committed to that because there will be moments in life where we're going to be the ones helping and we're also going to be the moments where we're the ones hurting. And we, as a body of Jesus, need to be a place where that is an okay thing without complaint, without murmuring and saying, boy, you know, I really wish this person would just get their act together so that we could stop doing this. We can do it. God asks us to do it. Now, all of this, as well as the the things I'm saving for the end, (laughs) require something I've said multiple times. It requires great humility. Funny, Funny enough, Philippians 2, verse 3, and Galatians 5, verse 26, say pretty similar things. Here's what Philippians 2, verse 3 says. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Galatians 5.26 Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We have to embrace. If no other label you want to embrace, the label of humility. And considering others as more important than ourselves. Humble with humility, not acting out of selfishness, not coming and saying, here's what I want. Nothing with conceit saying, I know what is right and better than anyone else around. Not provoking one another. Now, interestingly enough, last week or the week before, we were talking about how to provoke one another to do good works. This is obviously a negative connotation of making trouble, poking at people, stirring up anger. We are not to go about causing problems. And then Galatians that says, let's not provoke one another. It tells us one of the main reasons you might be provoking someone is because you actually envy someone. You're upset because you don't have what you think you should have. And you provoke someone because you can control that sort of situation. All because you are convinced, you are so conceited that you think that life ought to deal you what you want. I know some of that just got real awkward on the inside of us because we wouldn't say that. I think we need to take a moment to think about how we act, what we say, about our expectations, not just at church, but with relationships. Are we living 
out of humility, considering other people as more important than what I want? Or am I living in such a way that says, I expect everywhere I go to give me what I expect and what I deserve? And when I don't get what I want, I will provoke I will do whatever is needed in order to get what I want. Let me tell you, that is like probably the best idea to consider as the old man that still wars inside of you. This is exactly what Adam and Eve went through when they said, yeah, you know what, you're right, snake. Maybe we should take this fruit even though God said not to, and you're telling us we're going to turn out to be God, like, yeah, why don't I get to decide what's right and wrong for once? Why do I got to listen to him? They think that they deserve the right to say what is right and wrong. And when someone didn't give them that, then they were willing to do whatever it took to get it. Thanks to them for enabling this to be our continuing existence because this is what our heart wants. We need to inform our heart through the words of Scripture that we are not to do that, that we ought to live out of humility, out of consideration for each other, not looking out for our own interests, as Philippians says, but looking for the interests of others because, as Philippians tells us, that's what Jesus did. That is the heart of the gospel, is that Jesus did something not taking into consideration to cause him to stop from performing his saving act of being crucified on the cross for our sins because he cared more about us than he cared about himself. If we are going to be like Jesus, if we are going to be his body, then that is the kind of attitude that we must embrace, one that is selfless, one that is considerate, not conceited, and one that is humble and not expecting to receive whatever it is we want that day or that moment from our spouse, from our kids, from our job, and from church. Let's be humble, not conceited, and selfless. All right, and then before we get to the good ones, (laughs) consider Colossians 3. Verse 9, this one should be a, a, a no-brainer. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. This one's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Jesus didn't lie to people because lying to people is a sin. And in a community... Lying to each other does not build bridges of trust. It blows up any bridges that exist. We are not to lie to one another. We are not to try to deceive one another. We are not trying to make some sort of political move so that we can get the right angle on something. We are to be people who tell the truth. Now, Ephesians, which we covered a couple weeks ago, says to speak the truth in love to one another. So that's the counterbalance on that, right? There's a way to tell the truth. There's a way to not lie, but to still speak lovingly. 
So we're not going to even engage in the smallest of lies. We're not going to tell people, no, I'm fine. When actually you have an issue, you have some sort of offense that you should be ironing out in the whole, like, forgive one another command, we're not going to say, ah, it's fine. Because it's not true. We're going to say the truth. Say, you know, there is something. I don't want to make it a big deal. But this bothered me. We should be able to handle that. If we're doing all the other one another's okay, we should be able to handle that. We're not going to lie to or about people because how would we feel if someone lied to us or about us? It doesn't help any sort of community to go around and lie. Truth is always superior, even though sometimes lying or manipulating the truth sometimes seems easier. Seeing as how in Colossians 3, that you have put off the old self with its practices. Again, this is what our instinctive heart wants us to do. Well, this is easier. This is simpler. But instead, what if we did what Jesus told us to do? And told the truth. And we're vulnerable, which would be a whole lot easier if we were willing to embrace humility. To say, you know what? That shouldn't have bothered me. For some reason it did. And let someone have the opportunity to do what is right. We have to tell the truth to each other and not lie because that is what the old self used to do. And now to the most infamous of them all. Multiple times in the scripture we are told not to judge one another. This one is included simply because the words are there. It doesn't really fit the context too well. Um, context being that uh, they're arguing about Jesus saying that he came from heaven and Jesus said, stop grumbling among yourselves. The words you, you know, for one another is there and not grumbling is there. But that doesn't really help with the theme. I just want to throw that out there in case you thought I missed one. But James chapter 5, let's go ahead and turn there. James chapter 5. There we go. James chapter 5. Uh, we'll also, I'll read you a verse if you want to look up in James 4, verse 11. It says, Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's go down to chapter 5 and verse 9. 
I'll start reading in verse 7 just for context sake. Therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. This is another thing that our old self really likes to do, is to judge other people. In Matthew, Jesus talks about this. He says, don't judge or you'll be judged the same way that you judge others. And then he says, how much does it help if you got a beam sticking out of your eye and you're trying to remove a little speck of dust from somebody else's eye? And then he says, that's the essence of hypocrisy. In another story where Jesus is uh, brought, uh, a woman caught in adultery is brought before him, and he says, well, whoever is righteous, why don't you go ahead and throw the first stone? Here is the reality that we live in. As much as we think we know what is right and wrong, regardless of how sure we are that something must happen. God has not, say that again, God has not relinquished his authority to judge and given it to you. That doesn't mean that we don't use our brains, okay? That doesn't mean that we don't look and say, hey, the way you're acting doesn't go in, go in line with Jesus. That's not judging. If it is done with love and respect, with the expectation that we are going to follow through on what we've committed to do and follow Jesus, it is not judging for anybody to come to you and say, I don't know that what you're doing or what you're saying works with the claim that you have, that you belong to Jesus. It might not feel great. It might hurt for someone to come and say, you know what, you're not living like Jesus would. But that's not the essence of judging. I think even just from the verses found in James, we get a better picture of what it is that we are to avoid doing. We are to avoid, uh, in both of these complaining and grumbling about each other. But also, uh, in James 4.11, it says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it, the law. We don't have the authority, and we don't have a whole lot of other things, like the wisdom, the knowledge, or the righteous standing to make judgment calls about someone else. That is God's job that we are not allowed to take. God, as it says in James, says, look, the judge is standing at the door. Like in Sunday school, we we're talking about how lament and gratitude, we can both take those to God because God knows what to do with those. 
It is the same thing. That God knows exactly how to judge each and every single one of us. And we can go to him and say, this person did me wrong. And I think that something should be done about it. And guess what? The judge of all the earth always does what is right. But we can start doing stuff our own way. Try to execute justice our way. We're going think, this person was mean to me. Therefore, I am not going to talk to them. I also don't want anyone that I like talking to them. And so I'm going to make sure that everyone knows that I don't like them anymore. That is the act of judge. You are deciding that someone's actions warrant a particular response that everyone should follow suit. You get to declare what happens to these people. And again, if your heart is as rebellious in nature as mine, we like to do this. We like to try and balance things and weigh things and say, well, this person is definitely way more wrong than this person, or this person is way more wrong than me. And we get to declare, like, that, that you know, nothing's going to be resolved until that person takes care of their problem. And just ignore the fact that there's something inside of you that could also be being changed into the image of Jesus. We are not to judge one another And the way that we judge one another ought to be our reasonable expectation of how God would judge us. And that probably strikes fear into our own hearts, as it well should. Because the way I respond when my kid does something that bugs me to death, or my wife, God bless her, does something that just irks me, and then I respond, that should be my reasonable expectation as to how God would judge me. This is what Scripture says time and time again. You're not going to forgive someone? What is your reasonable expectation that God is going to forgive you? You're going to cast judgment on someone because they did something that bothered you? What do you expect? What is the reasonable expectation that the guy, the God who made the entire universe, who, out of just sheer love for you, sent Jesus to die on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, what is your reasonable expectation that you should be judged kinder than the way you judge those around you? God knows far more about who you are God knows all of the things that you've done that aren't just bothersome to him, not just an annoyance, but actually an attack on his very character. He knows when he is now being patient, we can now go and try and reach them for Jesus. Like, we don't need to participate in the bringing down of judgment. The judgment will come if and when God sees fit. Because the judge stands at the door. He's not oblivious. He knows exactly what's going on in our entire universe all at the same time, past, present, and future all at the same time. He's better qualified to be a judge than you. You need to stick 
to what he's asking you to do. And we as believers and we as the church ought to be the people who understand that justice will take place. But we are not the ones to force it to happen in our own time. We are finite beings as we've learned in Sunday school. And we are incapable of that. That weight will crush you. So instead, let's be people without selfishness, without conceitedness, and with humility, be willing to say, God will judge everything that needs to be judged. And I can engage in relationships in helpful ways that promote trust, that build up the body of Jesus, that provokes people to good works, not hatred. This is the task that we can do and should do. And this is the the characteristic of what loving one another will look like. We won't gossip about each other. We're not going to complain about each other behind, behind people's backs. We're not going to try and build up factions on issues and take sides and argue back and forth. We are not going to talk to each other like, you know, uh, you don't know what you're talking about and I have an issue with you. But instead, what it would look like for us to love one another would be to be hospitable to people even the p- people that we don't really like all that much without complaint. It will look like choosing to be together even when I don't feel like it. It means that we will consider when we gather with people of like faith, not trying to get all of what we want, but to be considered of those around us and their needs the things that we can help them with, the way that we can support them, encourage them, bear with them, and forgive them, and ask for forgiveness. This is what Jesus looked like when he was here on earth. He had every right to go around and judge everybody, unlike us. (laughs) But he didn't go around judging people. He did Go and confront people. And you say you're the religious people, and guess what? You're not acting like it. It doesn't mean just letting everybody do whatever they want to not be judging. Jesus will come and judge the whole world. And that's not our job. Our job is to live like Jesus lived while he was here. Loving one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, instructing one another on the way to life. So let's do that, huh? We're good with that? Let's set aside the ways of our old self where we only look out for ourselves. Let's look out for each other. Let's set aside the side of ourself that says, you know what, it would be easier to lie than to tell the truth. Let's choose to tell the truth to one another so that we can build bridges of trust so that we can grow together into the body of Jesus. And let's be the people that instead of judging one another and casting decisions on each other and trying to make 
life work that way because we are so certain that this is how it ought to be because this is just. Let's be the people that say, let's look at God handle that and do the best we can to live together, honoring each other, loving one another. Let's put aside the things that the old self wants us to engage in and being selfish, conceited, proud, and judging each other. And let's embrace our identity that we have in Jesus. Let's live like him together, not just individually. Let's do it together so that people can see Jesus in the way that we work out our problems, the way that we work together even with people vastly different than us. Let us show people who Jesus is through the way we live together. Dear Father, we pray that you would enable that with your spirit because we know we can't do that on our own. That we can't live like Jesus, that we can't fulfill any of these one another commands just because we want to. But we pray that as we submit to your spirit, that you would continue to grow in us the desire and the ability to live as members of one another, as members of Jesus, and as his representatives here on earth. We pray that you would help us to stop the unhelpful and the hurtful practices that are so instinctive to our old selves. Help us to wrestle against that desire and to embrace our new identity and who Jesus is and what he has done for us that we can be preachers of this gospel that God can change our hearts. Help us to do that with and for one another. Help us to be a place where we can all receive the energy and the encouragement to continue doing this until you bring us to be with you for all of eternity. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.